2: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
0: I just want to do everything I can to make sure, A, we win, and that, B, the presidency of Hillary Clinton is fantastic. And I think I can, with my two cents, I think I can help that happen.
3: I do too. And well,
4: Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine joined us for their first interview just after their debut as running mates to talk about their vision for the country and their opponents.
3: I often feel like there's the Hillary standard, and then there's a standard for everybody else. What's the Hillary standard? Well, it it is, uh, you know, a lot of, as you saw at the Republican convention, uh, unfounded, inaccurate, mean-spirited attacks with no basis in truth.
4: Why do you put yourself through it?
3: Because I really believe in this country. And boy, do I believe in it now more than ever after seeing what was presented last week.
5: Caden Erickson is fighting a deadly type of leukemia.
6: My number one wish choice is to go to Australia.
5: Months after his interview, Caden thought he was getting this plaque just for being a -A Make-A-Wish volunteer.
6: Make-A-Wish October 11, 2014. Caden Erickson, your wish has has been great.
2: You're going to
4: Australia. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities, talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Tonight
4: we have the first and only interview with the new democratic ticket last sunday on sixty minutes we heard from donald trump and mike pence now on the eve of the democratic convention we will hear from hillary clinton and her running mate tim Kaine. she introduced kane yesterday at a rally in the critical battleground state of florida Kaine has been a city councilman and mayor in richmond virginia then-Virginia's Lieutenant Governor, Governor, and now U.S. Senator. We asked the Democrats about fixing the economy, fighting terrorism, and their shared vision of the future. Why Tim Kaine?
3: Well, as I have said throughout this whole process, the most important qualification is that the person I pick be ready to become president if something were to happen. I don't think there's any greater responsibility. Uh, So he's highly qualified. He's been a mayor, a governor, a senator. Secondly, he's a progressive who likes to get things done. That's how I describe myself and I look at his record, his civil rights uh, record, his education record, his taking on uh, tough issues like uh, gun safety, climate change, the whole uh, picture is one that I find, you know, very appealing. And then finally, uh, I want somebody who will be candid and will tell me, "Hey, I don't agree with this, or could you think about it somewhat differently?" I don't think I have all the answers. I think that we'll be a good team. Uh, I believe we'll work well together. Mm-hmm. I believe that uh, he will give me his best advice.
4: Senator, what did you tell her you were good at? <laughs>
0: You know, I, I've been a uh, city councilman and mayor. I've been a lieutenant governor and governor, and now in the Senate, serve on the Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committee. So I'm a I'm a utility player. I just want to do everything I can to make sure a we win, and that b the presidency of Hillary Clinton is fantastic. And I think I can, with my two cents, I think I can help
4: that happen.
3: I do too. And well, I just have to add that he plays a mean harmonica.
4: I've heard that. Yeah, gotta have a yeah. fallback in my life. <laughs> can <we do> it? <laughs> Senator, you're going to be vice president in a White House with two presidents. I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> what do you think of that notion?
3: I, I think it's an all-hands-on-deck time. Yeah. yeah, We're going to have a crackerjack staff, and we're going to have you know, great uh, efforts with our congressional allies and others.
4: When we wrote that question, I expected you to come up out of your chair at me and tell me that there was only going to be one president.
3: Well, no, because I will be the president. But it does happen to be a historical fact that my husband served as president for eight years. And there's a lot that happened which helped the American people during those eight years. I want an economy that creates more jobs, and that's a lot of jobs. I want an economy that gets back to raising incomes for everybody. Most Americans haven't had a raise. I want an economy that's going to help lift millions of people out of poverty, because given the Mm -hmm. Great Recession, we have fallen back in the wrong direction. And I'm also going to be relying on President Obama. You know, I've already put him on notice. I'm going to be picking up the (laughs) phone. I'm going to be calling and asking for his advice. And so we're going to put them all to work
4: senator are you ready to be president of the united states
0: i think i'm ready to lead i'm ready first to be a supportive vice president so that the presidency of hillary clinton is is a fantastic one Um, but if something were to put that in my path as as much as any human being would be ready i'd be ready and you got to approach it with humility but you know whether you know missionary civil rights lawyer local official state official federal official like i've i've climbed and i haven't missed a rung on the ladder and i and if it were to if it were to come that way i could do it
3: we have our agenda mm-hmm. we have a very positive agenda you'll hear a lot about it in philadelphia this week You know, people make fun of me sometimes because I do have plans, but (laughs) I I think I have this old-fashioned idea that when you are asking people to vote for you, it is kind of like a, a big job interview, and you ought to tell people what you think you can do for them. I think we can create more economic opportunity. I think we can improve education, make college affordable, deal with the myriad of issues that we confront
4: but won't your hopes and dreams be dead on arrival at the Republican House of Representatives?
3: I don't think so. And and here's why. First of all, I know, and Tim knows, because we both have heard from many Republicans um, how distressed they are at the right. direction that Donald Trump is taking their party. I worked with Republicans. I came from a Republican home. My father was a... Uh, a rock-ribbed Republican. I think the first Democrat he voted for was my husband, best I can remember. (laughs) Um, So we know that there are Republicans who share our concerns and want to be part of the solution, not just uh, peddling fear and bigotry. And I also am hoping we will have a Democratic Senate, and we will make gains in the House. Uh, Who knows? Maybe we can take the House back. but we're going to come in with the attitude that, you know what, we will talk, work, and listen to you 24-7. Of but wouldn't President
4: work. Obama say exactly the same thing? And we've had eight years of gridlock. Let not quite say, eight, but six years of gridlock. Let me
0: say, as a guy who's in the, in the legislative branch right now, you said DOA, it's not DOA, and I think it's actually maybe going to be easier than it's been in the past a little bit. Um, I do think we're going to take a Senate majority for the Democrats. In this election? I do. I absolutely do. I think the House is going to remain in Republican hands. I think the margin will be narrowed. Some of the big things that we have to do, immigration reform, tax reform, mental health reform, criminal justice reform, they're only going to get done. Um, I I think they're only going to get done probably with a divided House scenario where each side's got to give on something. Now, here's the second thing. Some people don't agree with me on this. Um, I was a brand new senator in 2013, and the idiocy of Congress was to shut the government down for two weeks in October. And coming out of that, the pressure was put on the budget chair, Paul Ryan's shoulders, and Patty Murray. Conservative, Wisconsin Republican, progressive, Washington Democrat, come up with a budget deal. Nobody thought they could. But I watched Patty Murray and Paul Ryan, who were principled people, cut a deal for the good of the country. I watched at the end of last year when Paul Ryan worked... And we got an appropriations bill that I thought was quite good. And when he went to the microphone to talk about that bill, here's what he said. Democrats got some things that they liked. Republicans got some things they liked. We each had some things we didn't like. He could have said, hey, Republicans control both houses. We want it our way. But he didn't say that. He wants to do things. He wants not just a portrait, but he would like a legacy. That's my belief. There's going to be room to make some things happen.
4: Senator, in a sense, we're introducing you to 49 states. (laughs) What hardship... Has formed your character
0: in my public life i 've had some some suffering I, I was elected city councilman in one thousand nine hundred and ninety four in Richmond we had the second highest homicide rate in the United States and I just went to too many crime scenes I went to police funerals and there was a hopelessness about some of that and I got to be governor and the worst day of my life and it will always be the worst day of my life was the murder of these thirty two beautiful young kids and these professors at Virginia Tech. What did you do about it? First, I did what I could personally, which was within 24 hours after that horrible shooting, I put a panel together of people who had no connection with Tech and no connection with the family, and I said, I want you to tell me everything that went wrong and everything we can do to fix it. We improved mental health systems, though not enough. We, we, uh, there was a critical loop in the background record check mm-hmm. system in Virginia. I was able to fix part of it executively, but when I went to my legislature, even Six months later, and the, with the wounds still fresh, I could not get the Virginia legislature to do the comprehensive background rec- record check that we should do. And then I come into the Senate. We have that same battle within three months of being there. You know, after the horrible shooting at, at Sandy Hook, um, right before I came into the Senate. You know, we had a vote on the Senate floor for common sense gun reform. The the chamber was was ringed with the family members from Sandy Hook, with Virginia Tech family members sitting. With them and helping them, there's a phrase in the letter to the Hebrews that says talks about being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but we couldn't do the right thing.
4: And you thought what? I just you know,
0: our public wants us to fix this. Gun owners want us to fix this. NRA members want us to fix this. And I thought how hard it is to do something that makes sense. So. You know, you you, you mourn falling short, but we just got to
4: keep trying. What can a president do about these terrible mass murders here and abroad that are now happening weekly in our
3: world? Let's separate the mass murders that we have at places like Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook, Aurora, Colorado, and recognize that those are rooted in the much too readily available weapons of mass killings mostly the assault weapons and usually some kind of underlying Mm. motivation whether it is mental health Mm. or in the case of the killer in charleston uh deep racist hatred those are homegrown and they have to be addressed and then we have people who claim to be and may well be inspired by, if not directed by ISIS, and they get radicalized. So I think, number one, we've got to have better gun safety rules, comprehensive background checks, closing the gun show loophole and the online loophole, changing the speed at which you get real-time information, including mental health information, uh, to be part of that background check and not selling the gun until the background check is Mm -hmm. completed, which is one of the problems in Charleston. For goodness sake, stopping terrorists, people on the watch list, from being able to buy weapons. When it comes to uh, terrorist killings, ISIS-inspired or other radical jihadist-inspired, uh, we need an intelligence surge, we've got to be much more connected from the local to the state to the national level with international sources of information.
0: One other thing that's really important, the Secretary Clinton Hillary always says, you know, we've got to have a stronger world through stronger alliances. So, when a, uh, you know, Donald Trump says, maybe we need to kind of pull our head back in our shell, and we don't need to have the alliances. Why do we need them? Why do we need to rely on them? Right. He's actually potentially cutting off exactly the kind of intelligence sharing that's going to be necessary to stop these, these kind of random attacks that, that do cause right. such terror. So these alliances matter. They're not, you know, they weren't about yesterday. They matter probably more today and tomorrow than they mattered yesterday.
6: Welcome
2: to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
4: At the Republican convention in Cleveland this past week, there were chants of lock her up relating to Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server for official business when she was Secretary of State. The director of the FBI has said that Clinton was extremely careless and that in the tens of thousands of emails on the unsecured server, several contain classified information. Donald Trump has used the email issue on many occasions to raise doubts about her character. Madam Secretary, did you hear the Republican convention chanting, lock her up?
3: Well, I didn't hear it because I wasn't watching, but I certainly heard about it, yes.
4: Did you feel threatened by that?
3: No, I felt sad. Sad. I felt very sad, Scott. I mean, I I don't know what their convention was about other than criticizing me. Uh, I seemed to be the only unifying uh, theme Mm -hmm. that they had. Mm -hmm. There was no positive agenda. It was a very dark divisive campaign, and the people who were speaking were painting a picture of our country that I did not recognize. You know, negative, scapegoating, fear, bigotry, smears. I just was so, I was saddened by it.
4: He calls you Crooked Hillary. What, mm. what do you call him?
3: I don't call him anything. And I'm not going to engage in that kind of uh, uh, insult uh, fest that he seems to thrive on. So whatever he says about me, he's perfectly free to use up his own airtime and his own uh, space to do. I'm going to talk about what he's done, how he has hurt people in business, time after time after time. His vicious language against immigrants, his uh... insulting uh, a distinguished federal judge of mexican heritage his mocking a person with a disability his really inflammatory language about muslims about american muslims about muslims all over the world his demeaning comments about women i'm gonna i'm going to respond to what he has said that i think is so fundamentally at odds with who we are as a nation where we need to be heading in the future and the kind of dangerous, risky uh, leadership that he 's promising you know
0: i don 't want to she 's done a good job of letting the you know water go off her back on this that 's not the way I feel um, when I see this you know, crooked Hillary or I see the locker up it 's just ridiculous it is ridiculous the The Republican FBI director makes a decision that there 's nothing here that is you know, warrants any additional activity, but criminal so, prosecution. Yeah, criminal, but but so the, what? They're going to say, okay, well, we don't believe him now. We saw all these folks trying to rehash the tragic deaths of Americans in
4: Libya, which we should all feel for those families. They're trying to politicize it. What's your responsibility for Benghazi? Did you make any mistakes around that?
3: Well, Scott, there have been i think now nine separate investigations and they did not find any such culpability um, i took responsibility i was secretary of state uh, and i thought that was appropriate and what i was determined to do uh... is to find answers as to what actually happened not what people claim and what we could do to try to prevent that that was in the tradition of what has happened in the past we had horrible losses in Beirut when Ronald Reagan was president, one of my favorite uh, former predecessors, George Shultz, was uh, Secretary of State. We had a Democratic Congress. They didn't politicize it. So when this happened in Benghazi, I immediately stood up an independent uh, committee, distinguished Americans, military and civilian experts. They came out and they said, "You know the ball was dropped um, in security, and you know some of the decisions that were made uh, probably should have been rethought but wasn't that your ball to carry no, it wasn't it was not my ball to carry. It was very it, read, read the read the reports, read all of the reports, all many hundreds of pages of them, including this latest one, which mm-hmm. was a political exercise from the very beginning. Uh, those never reached me, those never came to my attention." The concerns
4: the, about the security yeah, never the, came to your attention, no, the didn't ex- reach you. the
3: experts, we have security experts. I am not going to substitute my judgment for people who have been in the field, who understand what our men and women are up against. So this has all been investigated over and over again. But as Tim was just saying, it didn't get the result that some of the Republicans wanted. So they kept at it. And I feel very sorry that they have politicized it unlike any prior example. And I just think the most important challenge we face is learning from it and doing everything we can to keep our people safe.
4: I've got about uh, three more questions that shouldn't take too long. Um, one of them you might actually like. So. <laughs> one out of three. Yeah. Well, well, then
0: we'll take one question. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All
4: right. Do you think you blew it on the emails?
3: Oh, I've said I did. Absolutely. I made a mistake. I should have had two accounts, one for personal and one for uh, office, and uh, I didn't, and I take responsibility for that.
4: Why did you do that? Have the private email servers?
3: You, you know, Scott, it, it, other people did have other secretaries of state, other high ranking members of. Uh, administrations, plural, uh, and it was recommended uh, that it would be convenient and I thought it would be. It's turned out to be anything but.
4: Would there be a private email server in the
3: White House? I'll tell you one thing. That is one lesson I have learned the hard way and there will not be any such thing in the White House, although I am quick to add there's no evidence that it was ever hacked. Uh, And unfortunately you can't say that for a lot of the government.
4: I was speaking to a young African American man just the other day in a democratic state and he said and I'll quote you know I guess I would vote for Hillary except for that corruption problem End quote as I talked to him further he didn't quite know what he meant by that but that was his impression and concern why do you think people say that about you
7: Well,
3: first, I will take responsibility for any um, impression or anything I've ever done that people um, have legitimate questions about. But I think that it's fair to say uh, there's been a concerted effort to convince people like that young man of something. Nobody's quite sure what, but of something. I often feel like there's the Hillary standard, and then there's a the standard for everybody else. What's and, the Hillary standard? Well, it, it is, uh, you know, a lot of, as you saw at the Republican convention, uh, unfounded, inaccurate, mean-spirited attacks with no basis in truth, uh, reality, which take on a life of their own. And for whatever reasons, and I don't want to try to analyze the reasons. I, I see it. I understand it. Um, people are very uh, willing to say things about me, to make accusations about me that are, are, I don't get upset about them anymore, but they they are very regrettable.
4: Why do you put yourself through it?
3: Because I really believe in this country. And boy, do I believe in it now more than ever after seeing what was presented last week. I, I believe that we are better than what we are hearing in the political discourse I believe we can work together
4: what do you care most about accomplishing as president
3: well I care most about getting the economy working for everybody not just those at the top I care deeply about rebuilding the ladders of opportunity that have been battered and broken and knocked over Uh, so that people can get an education that'll equip them for the future, that they can afford to go to college, that we can help them pay down their debt to get it off their backs. I care deeply about health care, something that has motivated me for many years, and how we defend the Affordable Care Act, fix it, make it work better, take on mental health, prescription drug costs, addiction, that are just ripping the soul out of people families and communities and i care deeply about the issues of race and discrimination the kinds of systemic racism that we are still struggling with and that we have to uh deal with and and the whole suite of issues that i've talked about through this campaign that i've worked on are ones that uh, we're going to tackle from immigration reform to gun uh, safety
4: who gets a tax increase who gets a tax cut
3: The middle class will not get a tax increase. That has been my pledge. What does middle class mean? Well, we say below $250,000 because here's what we want to do. We want to go where the money is. Most of the wealth increase, the increase in income, both active and passive, has gone to the very top of the income scale. So I'm with Warren Buffett who says we need the Buffett rule. If you make a $1 million, you should pay a 30% rate because you should not be paying a lower rate than your secretary. We need a surcharge on incomes $5 and up because I have said I will pay for everything I'm proposing. I feel strongly Mm. about that. Uh, And it is in stark contrast to the terrible plans that uh, Trump has been proposing, which would soak the middle class, hurt working people, and give huge tax breaks to millionaires and billionaires.
4: Last one, what will be accomplished if you are elected the first woman president of the United States?
3: I think it would be a great uh, moment for our country because every little boy and every little girl uh, should be uh, given the chance to go as far as his or her hard work and talent might take them. Uh, I see it in the eyes of little girls who come to my events. They're so excited and they're so proud because maybe they just discovered we haven't had any girl presidents. And to uh, accept that nomination on Thursday night, uh, I'll be thinking about all the women who came before, all the women who went to Seneca Falls and for the first time in history talked about women's equality and women's rights, the suffragettes, the the women who knocked their heads against all kinds of barriers and broke through and everything from you know space to politics and I hope that uh, it gives other women and girls the feeling that whatever their dreams might be they can they can achieve them in this country.
0: And um, you know if you think about the history of our nation, we stated That that all are equal, right? In 1776, but it took 144 years before we said, and that means women can vote, not just men. So we said we were going to do one thing, but it took 144 years. And not to mention African Americans. And we can march down this story that 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 equality promise, which was like a north star that we'll never reach, but 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 we've been we've been on a journey. And then it took another hundred years. I mean, we're we're nearly a hundred years later in 2020 with no woman president. The next president of the United States will be the president that will celebrate a hundred years of women having the right to vote. I mean, I think having a woman president lead that celebration would be, you know, one of these instances of history really working out right in a poetic and beautiful way. And part of this journey that we've been on because then we'll tackle the next imperfection we have. But this, this is something that is really, really exciting.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. If
5: you could be anything, go anywhere, meet anyone, what would you wish for? The Make-A-Wish Foundation has been asking seriously ill children that question for 35 years. Make-A-Wish became famous by making dying children's final wishes come true. A child doesn't have to be terminally ill anymore to get a wish. Last year, the organization granted almost 15,000 wishes. They cover a broad range. Some children get to meet famous athletes. One had much of San Francisco pretend he was Batman for a day. Another chose to jump from an airplane. We wanted to find out what leads to these wondrous moments. Make-A-Wish is a growing organization that spent more than $200 donated dollars on wishes last year. It's headquartered in Phoenix, has more than 60 local chapters across the country and almost 40 more around the world. To see how wishes become reality, we spent time with some of its most dedicated volunteers in one of its most active chapters in the northeast corner of Arkansas. As we first reported back in October we discovered a place where, despite persistent poverty, we found inspiring generosity.
4: Thank I don't you. carry you. You're fine. Appreciate you so much.
8: They
5: begin at dawn. One day a year, hundreds of volunteers fan out across northeast Arkansas to raise money at street corners.
8: Good morning, man. Thank you all.
5: In schools. <laughs> Their goal to get enough money on this one day to grant every wish for the area's sickest children. Volunteers Christy Matthews and Dana Johnson have run this fundraiser every year since 1999.
8: I mean, it literally just exploded. Every year, we would add another town.
5: This is small-town America?
8: They're very small towns, six, seven hundred people, a handful of change at a time. As this day's
5: donation deadline approaches, groups of volunteers race to the local radio station to announce their town's total, down to the penny.
0: Give me a number.
8: $8,468.62.
2: $25,301.
0: $12,054.55.
4: And the big finish is just moments away. Stand by.
0: The total tally
5: from northeast Arkansas is the big story on the 7 o'clock news.
2: What do we have here? 323,000!
5: That's 323,000. Enough to grant more than 30 wishes, donated from places with little to spare. In Harrisburg, 40% live in poverty. But this town of 2,000 still contributed $25,000. The wishes were going just to children who were dying and that's no longer the case?
8: You know, we talk about it not being a last wish, but we create lasting wishes Hmm. and memories that these families can take on forever.
6: Hi, Caden!
5: Caden Erickson is fighting a deadly type of leukemia. At his interview as a potential recipient, he thought his wish was a long shot.
6: My number one wish choice is to go to Australia.
5: Awesome. Folks here make awesome. granting the wish a big surprise. Months after his interview, Caden thought he was getting this plaque just for being a Make-A-Wish volunteer.
6: Make-A-Wish, October 11, 2014. Caden Erickson, your wish has... Your wish has been granted. Hey, Caden. You're going to
5: Australia. His mother, Jeannie.
8: he was just shaking the plaque, and his little legs were just doing a little happy dance in the chair, and it was uh, it
6: was something pretty special.
5: You must have been surprised.
6: I was. The most surprised I've ever been in my life. He's
2: so excited, do you know it? Yeah. Kendra
5: Street choreographed Caden's surprise. Danny. When not playing fairy godmother, Jamie? she's teaching at Marmaduke Elementary School. Everyone at the school chipped in to pay for Caden's wish. Many turned out to share the revelation. I get to go
2: upstairs. I get to go upstairs. Ah! He was excited. He was grateful, and he knew what it meant for him and his family.
6: Thank you, everybody.
5: Caden had endured two excruciating bone marrow transplants. When he, his parents, and four siblings hit the beach in Australia, they hoped he'd beaten the cancer. The highlight of his trip?
6: Got to hold a koala.
5: Did he, like, put his arms around you?
6: It was like a hug. It was about as heavy as a baby, and it would put the claws here and the claws here, and so it was like you were getting hugged by a koala. You kind of get attached to the koalas.
5: Did it make you forget for a while that you were sick?
6: Yes, it made me feel a little bit normal, more normal than I've been for a while.
5: Feeling normal didn't last long. Shortly after returning home, Caden learned his cancer had returned for the third time. As we settled in for our interview, his mom, Jeannie, adjusted the medication he needs. It's pumped into his body next to his heart. You're in quite a struggle with this disease.
6: There are some bad things in my body that are kind of stubborn.
5: I think you're kind of stubborn yourself.
6: Thank you, I think. Caden is so
5: stubborn that after deliberating for a week, he decided to undergo a third agonizing bone marrow transplant. The previous two were so difficult, his parents didn't want to force him to go through it again. How'd you make that decision?
6: Would I rather just die or would I have a chance of living? It was a tough decision to make.
5: Because the therapy makes you feel bad?
6: It can make me feel bad. It can hurt me. It could do more harm than help. Hmm. So I'm just hoping this time we will get rid of it for good.
5: Caden's wish-granter, Kendra Street, was devastated when she learned his cancer had come back.
2: You have an attachment with your kids, and um, Caden's one that I've really attached to and I've gotten to keep in touch with him. And so seeing him have to go through that again, it's, it's just painful. He's just a really amazing kid.
8: Let's give Kendra a round of
2: you see, Kendra had survived
5: her own fight with cancer. Back when she was in high school, she had her wish granted.
4: The Make-A-Wish Foundation is sending you to the Atlanta Braves.
5: Getting to meet the Atlanta Braves was thrilling, she says, but...
2: Not to underestimate what my wish was for me, but if I had to sacrifice having my wish to be able to give it to someone else, I would definitely be willing to give it to someone else.
5: Being the grantor of the wish... Yes. ...is the better end of the deal.
2: Absolutely. You get to give that joy. You get to pass it on to someone else.
5: The same chapter passed it on to Gavin Grubbs, he suffers from debilitating muscular dystrophy, and his wish was to meet race car champion Joey Logano. The day we met them outside Charlotte, Joey took Gavin for a spin. They met six years ago and have become so close they call or text each other every week.
6: <laughs> Can you see anymore?
5: <laughs> Gavin was a groomsman at Joey's wedding. It all began back when Gavin was 8.
7: My wish is you to the Bob
5: <laughs> at a school assembly, Gavin learned he'd get his wish to go to Daytona and meet his hero. Then, it got better. Logano had flown to Arkansas to be part of Gavin's surprise. Gavin may have a serious disease, but as you'll see, he doesn't take himself too seriously. So Gavin, tell me, you are um, fighting a rare form of muscular dystrophy. Yes, sir. How does it affect you?
2: The main thing is I don't have the strength of a normal kid my age. Obviously, I'm in a wheelchair, but it's not all sad because... When you got a disability, people give you free stuff. (laughs) People let you do cool things. (laughs) I'm not saying I take advantage of it, but yeah, I take advantage of it. (laughs) And sometimes I feel a little bad for taking advantage of it, but you know. It's worth it. (laughs) Hanging out with this idiot. (laughs) It's okay, no pressure.
5: Gavin gives back, too. He helps raise money for new Wish kids every year.
6: It feels good to help other kids. That, to me, is maturity beyond your years. You take advantage of the stuff that comes, you know, your way, as you should, but you also, you know, you give back.
5: Make-A-Wish began back in 1980. Seven-year-old Chris Gracious, dying from leukemia, told his parents he wanted to be a police officer. Arizona police made him an officer for a day the power of his wish launched a movement. Are there wishes you can't grant?
8: The one wish that's the hardest to say I can't do is, can you make me well? That's a tough one.
5: What does that do to you?
8: It breaks
2: your heart. (laughs) It breaks your heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. you.
5: Years before she became a volunteer, getting well had been Kendra Street's first wish. At the time, she thought her cancer was fatal.
2: Yes. She was one of those that her first wish was to make me well. So I want to live long enough for my mom to see me graduate high school. She was a senior that year.
8: They remind you that the little things that we think as adults are so traumatic are so small. I mean, when you think about what these kids are going through, they may not see their next birthday.
5: Kendra saw her next birthday and since then 14 more. Her cancer remains in remission. At Marmaduke, where she teaches, the whole school takes part in Make-A-Wish.
2: They just understand the power of a wish. Um, It's just once they saw the first wish granted here, our kids wanted to help give that to someone else. And we're a tiny, tiny school that's raised, last year we raised $15,000. That's incredible. It plays a huge part of who our kids grow up to be.
5: I don't want to um, overstate this in any way, but did the trip to Australia bolster Caden's will to live?
8: Having Australia
6: with him, having those memories, talking about that, it kind of gives him fuel to fight. Sometimes when I'm sad, I can think of all the happy things I did in Australia. And how amazing it
5: was. You're not going to let this cancer win. Thank you. You saw how courageous Caden was. But unfortunately, this story has a very sad ending. The cancer was relentless. This past September, Caden died.
4: I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes.